Hello, friends. Welcome to a special year-end miscellany edition of the ATC Double Cut with myself, Michael Woods. I am the chief scientist and president of the Asian Turfgrass Center and the director of the Pace Turf Information Service. And in this episode, I want to talk about a few recent blog posts that I've made that uh, kind of wrap up the year. And one of them, especially that I think um, I, I've i talked with people about this, but I don't know that I've blogged about it so much. I don't know that I've written about it so much. It's something that it seems like I've spoken about it at some seminars um, and certainly talked with my friends about it and told people I'm going to write something about this some more in the future. And uh, I, I finally got around to doing a blog post about it. And that blog post is one that I gave a title of planning forwards and measuring backwards. Now, this is something that I didn't do when I was a golf course superintendent about 20 years ago, more more than 20 years ago now. Um, and it's not the way that I was thinking about 10 years ago, but it's the way that I would make some decisions about turfgrass management today. Uh, and it's related to making plans for how much sand to apply, for example, or making plans for how much fertilizer to apply, uh, but then discarding the plan essentially on the day that it's time to make the application. Now, the reason why I think it makes sense to discard the plan is because we could be measuring things today like how much the grass is growing, the clipping volume, or we could be measuring how much organic material is in the soil and how that's changing over time. So if we know those kind of numbers, we can look backwards and we can look at what's actually happening and we can adjust based on that. So I think I will use a specific example, which is nitrogen fertilizer and try to explain that because I know there's a lot of people around the world who use the growth potential model to come up with some idea of the maximum nitrogen amount to apply at any amount at any point in time for their site based on what the temperature is. Because if the temperature is very cold, the grass won't grow. So it doesn't need any nitrogen. And if the temperature is close to an optimum level for photosynthesis, if the temperature, for example, is about 70 degrees Fahrenheit on average for cool season grass or 20 degrees Celsius for cool season grass, we could expect that cool season grass could photosynthesize very efficiently at that temperature. And because of that, it would have a higher nitrogen requirement or a higher nitrogen use rate than it would when the temperature was zero and the grass wasn't growing at all. So people can make plans based on historical weather data or based on forecast weather data going into the future looking forward to make plans about how much nitrogen may be applied but i wouldn't actually apply fertilizer like that okay and i'm not sure that that makes uh i'm not sure that that's clear to everybody that's using these types of models because i've seen um, I've seen people use these models where they just stick to the plan. And of course that works, but it tends to produce conditions that aren't as good as I think that they could be. And the way that 
I would throw away the plan is to look at how much the grass is actually growing. So I start off, I start off with that plan. I start off applying that predicted amount of fertilizer or that planned amount of fertilizer. And then instantly, or, you know, within a day or within three days or within five days, I can evaluate the turf grass response. I can see the color. I can see the change in growth rate. If I'm measuring the clipping volume, I can measure the response of the grass and see if the grass is growing at the rate that I want it to grow, or if it's growing faster, or if it's growing slower. So by doing that, by actually measuring the growth rate in response to the nitrogen that I've applied, I can then make an adjustment. So when it comes time to make the next nitrogen application, I want to adjust it up or down from the plan or sticking right to that plan based on what I've measured looking backwards. Okay. So I, I think that, uh, I don't know, it just seems intuitive to me to do that. And I kind of assume that everybody is not going to just keep sticking to a plan and applying fertilizer if the grass response is not perfect. And I, I kind of want to try to dial in the actual clipping volume to be just right. And Jason Haynes has what he calls the turf grass speedo or the growth ratio, which I've, uh, I've written about that. And he's written about that on his blog also. And what the growth ratio does is it takes your actual clipping volume and it adjusts it by a site specific uh, correction factor based on what the growth potential has been at your site. So it gives you essentially a estimated amount of clipping volume that you would expect to have given the types of temperatures that you have. So by looking at that, you can compare, you can compare the historical or the, uh, like the previous month or the previous week of growth to what the expected growth could, uh, is expected to be. And if you do that, you can see if the actual growth is above, right on, or below that level. And from that, you can then adjust the plan. So that works for nitrogen, and it's very easy for me to think of how that would work. And the same type of thing goes for something like sand top dressing. So I shared last week on Twitter for, not for the first time, I've, I've shared this post before, it's a few years old, but it is the excellent sand top dressing estimate spreadsheet from Pace Turf. And that spreadsheet allows you to, um, well, if you put in your temperature data for your site and the type of grass, whether you're working with cool season grass or with warm season grass, it will predict a standard sand top dressing amount, a standard estimate of how much sand top dressing is required month by month through the year and then for an annual total for your grass at your site at what is expected to be the amount of sand necessary basically to keep organic material in the soil under control um, basically so that you don't have too much thatch develop and that is something that is always very popular and I, I use 
those kind of things don't have to actually do. I just use it for planning purposes. And I understand that people like these kind of things. I like these kind of things to make these kind of plans. But the way that I would actually decide how much sand to apply is by measuring the total organic material in the soil. And so um, if you just do that once, and that's what I call OM246, measuring the total organic material at the zero to two centimeter depth, two to four centimeter depth, and four to six centimeter depth. If you do that, measure the total organic material just once, it's not going to tell you if you need to add more sand or less sand, but you can you can stick to the plan for a while and you measure the performance of the turf and you measure the playability of the surfaces that you're producing. And you make sure that those are uh, are performing the way that you want them to. But once you have that second data point, that second date of measuring the OM246, measuring that total organic material, what you can then do is calculate how, how the organic material has changed over time in response to the amount of sand that you've applied. And you can then adjust from that plan, you can adjust from that growth potential based plan that is kind of a standard plan that's only adjusted based on your site specific temperature. You can then change the amount of sand that you would apply based on how the organic material is actually changing at your site. So these are things that I incorporate in all of the consulting work that I do, the advisory work that I do for golf courses and other turf grass areas. And it's the type of thing that I can't really write a blog post. Um, I can't write a blog post about all of the ways that I customize it for every site. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm trying to come up with a way to explain this because I, uh, so everybody can make these kind of adjustments, uh, themselves because, um, wh whether it is a soil nutrient analysis that I'm doing or a OM246 report that I'm doing, or some advice about how to make use of clipping volume in relation to nutrient supply, I'm thinking about it in terms of let's make a default plan looking forward. So we plan forwards and then we measure what the results are and we make adjustments. So basically it's like everybody's doing this because nobody's out there just like blindly sticking to a plan or the, the word that many of you know that I don't like is program, right? Because uh, program would be to like the worst way to do it. If you just stick to something and you call that a program and you just repeat it. And, and so you may have this program that's based on growth potential or something. And you just, you stick to that program. I think that's a good way to get mediocre results, but it's not a way to get the best results to get the best results. You have to adjust. I think most people are doing that. Um, and yet I, I know from people that I've talked with, sometimes they, uh, they'll adjust the way that they're deciding how much nitrogen to apply mid season 
because they realized the grass was growing too fast. And I'm like, okay, I guess the way that you were applying nitrogen in the first half of the season was a little bit too much based on a plan or a program. And there should be a better way to incorporate the clipping volume data into making adjustments that happen all the time. And I've seen this type of thing at a lot of golf courses where there's just some opportunities to optimize this a little bit. So this is something where I put this blog post out there called planning forwards and measuring backwards. And I gave examples of nitrogen fertilizer. I gave examples of sand top dressing amounts. I also gave examples of phosphorus and potassium fertilizer. So all of, all of these are just like uh, meant to be reminders of things that you can definitely make a plan for. You can make a plan using growth potential. You can make a plan using some of these spreadsheets and models. But I think that the proper way to get the ideal results, the proper way to get the most efficient results is to make that plan going forward and then to adjust it slightly based on what you're measuring. So um, that is the main post that I wanted to get done this uh, I want I, I published it on the 27th or 28th of December. I wanted to make sure I got it out before the end of the year. I hope that makes sense to everyone and you may hear me talking about this a little bit more. Um, in the future, because that is something that I think is, uh, well, I, I think I can explain it better. And I think I'll try probably with nitrogen to try to come up with like, uh, I don't know, maybe another spreadsheet that links the clipping volume and the growth ratio and the growth potential and the forwards and backwards, um, to somehow, uh, make it more clear what I'm talking about. I don't know if you if you're watching this or listening to it and say, Micah, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, or uh, maybe maybe you're thinking it's so obvious that uh, that it makes complete sense. Uh, I'll be happy if you'll let me know because I, th I think it's important. Everybody is is producing really good turf. Uh, I see a lot of professionally managed turf and it's almost all uh, high quality. But I'm always wanting to optimize and see if we can do it a little bit better and a little bit more efficiently. And these kind of things, um, I think, are what may allow us to have better conditions for more days in the year with less disruption and so on. So I'm trying to get just the right amount of sand, just the right amount of nitrogen, and so on. There's a few other blog posts I have. Well, man. Actually, I have a lot. I've got a lot that I haven't talked about yet. So I'm making this a year-end miscellany to talk to you about all of these blog posts, why I thought they were worth writing about, and kind of get us caught up to the end of 2022. Um, there, there's something really cool on the YouTube videos that I noticed. I have a Asian Turfgrass YouTube channel. A uh, the uh, the username is at Asian Turfgrass on YouTube, and I post various videos there. Some of them are screencasts of seminar presentations. Some of them are ATC office hour conversations. Some of them are this show, the ATC Double Cut. Some of them are cart rides where I talk with other Turfgrass managers from around the world, and we talk about different Turfgrass issues. 
Uh, some of them are just things that I think are interesting and I want to make a video about, like the very distinctive ball roll that you can see on zoysia grass putting greens. The uh, or the way that you can measure the uh, smoothness and the trueness of the ball roll on a golf course putting green. So there's some things that I think are interesting and I make videos about those too. So I noticed as I was looking at a couple of the longer videos on the channel that somehow the YouTube uh, software service is able to identify some of the key moments in the video. So it makes it like a table of contents. Now that's something that I can do if I want to come in and put a lot of timestamps and create my own type of table of contents. I can do that on the videos and I do that for some videos, but there's other long videos like uh, some of the ATC office hour conversations that go on for an hour or two. And I don't go through and listen to all of those and timestamp them and, and put in table of contents. But I can understand that for a viewer, it may be quite useful to say, okay, I want to jump right to the part where somebody is talking about tissue testing, or I want to jump right to the part where they talked about the difference between soil testing and tissue testing, or I want to jump right to the part where they're talking about sand top dressing amounts. Well, it turns out that these things are in the videos that get enough views. These things are automatically identified. So there are key moments in a number of the videos. And some of these are things like, uh, how many greens are we sampling to determine uh, the the uh, the organic matter levels or the amount of top dressing to apply? And what about the infiltration rate of water into a green when we're looking at the total organic material? Are we considering the infiltration rate? So it, it jumps right to that point in one of these videos. And there's another, uh, I mean, just, just so many of these videos, like the one that I had which one which one was this the 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 one that i did the atc office hours where doug Soldot and i had a talk about leaf nutrient analyses or tissue tests so that identified some key moments in that video that included what should we recommend to everyone because doug and i were talking about whether um whether we should recommend tissue testing or not. And then there's a section on soil testing. And then there's a section on the chemistry of tissue testing. And then there's a, a, uh, a key moment about sodium and chloride. And so there are opportunities to just jump to these just like chapters. So I think that that was really cool. So that is something that I brought to all of the readers attention by writing about it in the uh, on that blog post so that is two blog posts we've covered and as always i'm going to put a direct link to these in the show notes so we've got uh that key moments automatically added on the videos and then there's another one that i did about pace turf updates in 2022 this is another blog post and I started that one out by saying, I've been doing some of the updates since spring and all of them since midsummer. That's when I officially took over the director role at Pace Turf. And I list below 
all of the 125 Pace Turf updates that have been made so far this year to show you the range of material covered. Now, I am not going to talk about 125 Pace Turf updates on this. And that's something that if you are a Pace Turf subscriber, you would get an email if you if you enable that every Monday that uh, has the new posts from that week. So generally, there's going to be two or three updates per week. And you'll see that if there's 125 of them in a year, then that's averaging slightly more than two updates per week. And I listed these in this rather long blog post to show just some of the range of topics. So um, I, I included... Well, I, I listed all of them and you can see them when you go to the post, but some of them include like uh, soil phosphorus levels under good turf and under poor turf. Because I had done some soil testing on a site that had some turf that was performing perfectly and some turf that wasn't as good. So it was basically putting greens that had uh, within the same putting green, some turf was better than others. So we sampled the good turf and we sampled the bad turf and we took multiple samples so we can take an average and, and do statistics and be certain that what we have is a real difference and not just sampling error. So we did that and it turned out that the soil phosphorus levels under the good turf were lower than the soil phosphorus levels were under the poor turf. That's right. The turf that was not performing as well had more phosphorus in the soil, and the turf that was performing better had less phosphorus in the soil. So that post on the Pace Turf site, I went on to explain that this is something that is actually not terribly uncommon. It's it's something that I've seen multiple times, and the reason for that and the way that that works is simply nutrient harvest. The grass that is good, the grass that's healthy, is growing more. As it grows more, it has a bigger root system. As it has a bigger root system, as it's growing more, it extracts more nutrients from the soil. So over time, the nutrient levels tend to be lower in many cases under good turf, which is one of the reasons why the MLSN guidelines are so effective and why it doesn't make a lot of sense to chase after these uh, optimum nutrient levels in the soil or the idea that there's these uh, nutrient levels in the soil that can be, uh, that you're trying to reach after, or um, a, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense to try to load up the soil with nutrients, thinking that there's certain optimum ranges in the soil, because what you'll find is under good turf, you'll often have lower nutrient levels anyway than in the bad turf. So that is just one out of the 125 posts. And I also shared just some of these uh, at the top of this long list, a resource on pesticide resistance. Um an update about what happens with low fungicide rates and fungicide resistance, a video about microdochium patch snow mold diagnosis, a update about, uh, let's see, quick access to frequently asked turf management questions, showing a lot of the links on the Pace Turf site that give uh, quick access to frequently asked turf management questions. 
how to calculate leaching volumes for salinity management on greens. It, the the list just goes on and on, and there's tremendous uh, information resources on the PaceTurf site, and I wanted to bring that to everyone's attention too. So I did, and I listed all those 125 PaceTurf updates. If you are a PaceTurf subscriber, you have access to all of those from this year and hundreds, uh, actually it would be thousands more going back uh, many, many years, along with all of the other excellent resources on the Pace Turf site. So that is another post. Again, I'm going to be putting direct links to all of these in the show notes. Man, this is, I've got a lot of little, uh, just like newsy blog posts. There is one with some surprising results. Uh, I gave this title. This was actually was one of the top 10 uh, blog posts this year. If you listen to the end of this episode, I'll go through those top 10 um, in terms of views. But this is one that was from mid-December, and it is titled Some Surprising Results. And all that I've done is made a note that Chris Tritabaugh has completed his series of blog posts about playability, organic matter management, change, and consistency with one titled, What We Do. And this is a blog post series that he wrote in 2022, and I think it is superb. I recommend reading these, and I said that I recommend reading them because they describe some surprising results. And if you're if you are watching this show or listening to this show, they, they may not be surprising results to you. But what they are and what I highlighted from his blog post is that, uh, I'll start quoting from his blog post, and, and you tell me if this is surprising. On May 2nd, I'm quoting from Chris now. On May 2nd, we applied 0.6 millimeters of top dressing sand that's a medium rate of top dressing sand. This would be the last top dressing sand applied to the greens until the course closed in November of 2022. So that was a sand top dressing on May 2nd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and no sand for the rest of May, no sand in June, July, August, September, or October. So almost six months with no sand top dressing. And if you would have asked me some years ago, even a few years ago, if you could have high quality championship level creeping bent grass greens in that climate without in-season top dressing, I would have said, I don't think so. So for that to happen, um, that that's what I mean by surprising results. I'm going to give another quote from Chris. 2022 was the third straight summer in which we have applied no what I would call regularly scheduled top dressing. I believe it is not a coincidence that during this period we have experienced zero summer decline. So that um, that's something that Chris has observed when he doesn't put sand regularly the turf doesn't get ab um, abrasions from the mowers going across it, from foot traffic going across it, from rollers going across it, 
when there's sand that can cause damage to the leaves. So he used to see more summer decline as they push to get high performing greens during the summer and in hot weather and with low mowing heights and with um, mowing and rolling to get a fast green speed when there was sand on the surfaces they would see some stress in the summer but they have seen much less of that and zero summer decline and he attributes that or he suspects he he says i believe it is not a coincidence that they have experienced zero summer decline and that is because of no sand on the greens i'm going to give another quote from chris he said it may be natural to think that the way we have been maintaining the putting greens may work for a season or two, but it cannot be sustainable over the long term. I myself would have thought the same. This is still Chris talking, or I, this is still Micah quoting Chris. I myself would have thought the same not more than five years ago. It turns out by measuring playability and keeping abreast of any changes in the organic material at the zero to two centimeter depth, we can find a sweet spot and know exactly what maintenance practices are and are not necessary, end quote. So that sounds a lot like something that I might say, and that, uh, yeah, it's just really useful to measure this kind of thing. And when you do measure this kind of thing, you are able to get things, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. The, the way that I've talked about it with Chris is, it's just how predictable things can get because you sort of know the work that's been done. You know what the results are. And then, you know, if you do that, uh, that treatment again in relation to how the grass is growing, then you can kind of expect what the results will be. So we'll see how it goes in 2023, but I know that, um, it worked pretty good with some surprising results in 2022. And another blog post, another blog post, I just made a note that I had a long talk with Joe Galati. Now on the ATC double cut and on my blog and on the ATC office hours, I'm always talking about or writing about technical things. But Joe and I had a really fun talk where we talked about crab chips and potato chip flavors and custom suits and hairstyles and all kinds of things. And it was a long talk and I really enjoyed talking with Joe. So if you haven't listened to this yet, this is on his talking, the talking greenkeeper podcast, which is popular all over the world. And I am so glad that Joe enjoys talking with me and invites me on the show every now and then, because, uh, I know there's a lot of people around the world who actually found out about me or found out about the types of things that I research and study about and things that are so useful, like the MLSN nutrient guidelines. They find they found out about that or they will find out about it by listening to the Talking Greenkeeper. So thanks for that, Joe. I appreciate it. And I I mentioned uh Joe and I were talking. I this year I had some really great seminars in uh, in Europe. I, I was invited. And it, it's not that my seminars were so great. I mean, the uh, the conferences that I went to were so great, or the seminars that were arranged by other companies or superintendents association, greenkeepers associations were really good. 
and they're at at interesting places at nice hotels or nice resorts and the food is good and especially it's just it's so fun to talk with greenkeepers from other parts of the world i think because the challenges that they face are um well everybody has some of the same challenges but there's also new challenges and new solutions and um, it's, I just find it so interesting to talk with greenkeepers from all over the world. So I was kind of joking with Joe that, uh, because I live in Thailand, which is a very long way from Delaware, but when I'm in Portugal or in Denmark or in Spain or something like that, I feel like, uh, it's actually not very far from Denmark. I would think that you get on a airplane in Philadelphia or something like that and you'd be over in Europe in six hours or something. But if you try to get to Thailand, it's almost 24 hours. So I was thinking maybe sometime Joe or some other American greenkeepers would pop over for some of these other conferences. Uh, a lot of people do go over for the BTME, the BIGA conference. I think that stands for the British or the BIGA Turf Management Exposition, ex Exhibition, Exposition. Let's, uh, anyway, it's in Harrogate and that is usually held in, in January, I believe. I've been to that twice and that is a wonderful conference, but it's also cold in Harrogate, usually in January. And if you go to a conference in Southern Spain or Southern Portugal in the autumn or go, uh, you know, go to some of those. I think though the weather is even more salubrious. So I I do hope some Americans or Canadians or uh, Japanese greenkeepers, people from other parts of the world would go to some of these conferences sometime. It would be cool. So uh, Joe, when he and I were talking in this episode of the Talking Greenkeeper podcast, Joe had said, ah, I didn't even know that these were happening. I I, uh, you know, I, I didn't find out about them until later. And so I was kind of joking with him because I know he is subscribed to my ATC email newsletters in which I announce the upcoming conferences that I'm going to be speaking at, or even sometimes I'll announce conferences that I'm not going to be speaking at, but uh, that I think people might be interested in attending. And I took that chance on the Talking Greenkeeper podcast discussion with Joe to encourage people to make sure that you sign up to my free ATC newsletters. And there's a few of them. So you can get the full text of every blog the same day that it's published. So if you want to catch everything, you can get that. Or you can just get the ATC updates in which you can be certain that I will be sharing the upcoming seminars. And those go out only maybe five or six times a year. And that's the one that I would encourage everybody to sign up to because that has all the highlights. And I know Joe gets that, but somehow he didn't read it. So I was just kind of joking with him about that. So in this blog post, I made sure to put a link to a sign up to the ATC newsletters. If you are interested in this kind of stuff and you think maybe you'd like to go to a conference in Thailand or Japan or Denmark or Finland or uh, South Carolina sometime then, uh, uh, or Winnipeg. I think in my next ATC update, I'll announce, uh, a, a conference I'll be speaking at in Winnipeg also. So, uh, <laughs> it, it, wherever might be close to you and wherever you might like to attend a conference and, and, uh, 
hear some of my seminars, um, I, I would encourage you to make sure that you're signed up to the ATC newsletters. Okay, we are almost done here. I think I'm going to close with one more. That's right, because we talked about planning forwards and measuring backwards. I'm going to close with a post that I just uh, did yesterday. The top 10 posts of 2022. So these are the 10 blog posts uh, on the ATC blog that got the most views, which um, is something that I've been doing for a number of years now because I, I had about 70 blog posts this year. This, uh, this month at the end of the year, I'll... Uh, I do the top 10. So I show the 10 that got the most views or the, the most reads during the year. And next month in January, I'll take a look back at the, the bottom 10, the 10 that basically nobody read that people weren't so interested in. But the top 10 uh, are consistent in something that I've noticed over the past few years in that... Um, it tends to be the technical topics, the more technical turf grass topics that get the most views. And so those are things like, like this year, four out of the top 10 were about soil organic matter or soil organic material. Two of the top 10 were about fertilizer or turf grass nutrition. Two of them from this year were about irrigation or soil water content. So eight out of the top 10 posts were about what I would consider to be technical topics. And that is something like last year, it was it was very similar. I think six of the top 10 posts last year were about organic matter. So it seems like some of these te technical topics are the ones that people are interested in. And that, yeah, I guess that's good. I guess that's what people are coming to hear from me about. So in order, number one was the post about the Turfgrass Industry Twitter accounts in 2021. Uh, the title of that post is An Analysis of Turfgrass Industry Twitter Accounts in 2021. That was a post that I made in January of 2022. And that's something that is predictably popular because Twitter is quite... Uh, common in the turfgrass industry, and people are interested in seeing which accounts were ranked the highest. If you are interested in this, I I think I'm going to do this again uh, to look at 2022 accounts. But I am still on a long trip away from home, and I'm not going to be having a lot of computer time for another couple of weeks. So if you're listening to this um, right around the start of January in 2022 and wondering, oh, sorry, in, in uh, 2023, and you're wondering, uh, is Micah going to be doing another uh, Twitter analysis this year? I think I will. Uh, I haven't done it yet, so I can't promise, but I probably will do it, but it may be closer to mid-January when I get it done. Uh, I, I just don't know if I'll be able to do it right around January 2nd or 3rd like I have been able to do when I was at home for most of the past few Januaries. Um, anyway, I, I don't know if I'll do it beyond this year, <laughs> um, but 
I, I am kind of interested in a few things. Uh, so I want to check it for myself. So I think I probably will do it in 20, uh, do the analysis for 2022. The post number two, this, the one with the second most views was from May and it is titled how I recommend fertilizer nutrient ratios. And and that's an also includes an explanation for why I think everyone should do it this way. So that's something that I mentioned earlier. I don't think it makes sense to have these target nutrient levels in the soil. Instead, I want to make sure that the grass is always supplied with enough nutrients. I do this by looking at fertilizer nutrient ratios that can get adjusted based on the MLSN guidelines and based on how much nitrogen one is supplying. That's how I do it, and that's how I think everybody should do it until we come up with something that's better. Post number three is from October, and it's titled, Coring, Maybe the Real Benefit is Something Else. This post makes a case for core aeration being done for the end result of stimulating turf grass growth. And rather than coring for removing organic material or managing organic material in the soil, maybe the benefit that people see from it is from a growth stimulus. There's also post number four from April. What if it was never there? This is also about organic material. If there is never too much organic material in the soil, nothing needs to be done to dilute it. Then number five is from March. It is about my visit to the University of Florida and a, includes a screencast of my seminar there. Also some lively photos from us going through a rainstorm as we were looking at some of the turf plots. Um, that I'm glad that that one made it to number five this year. Number six is from May. It is titled Soil and Water Management, Three Primary Problems with Solutions. That looks at three things. It looks at salinity and the leaching fractions that are required to manage salinity. It looks at sodicity or the sodium hazard of irrigation water. And it also looks at nutrient deficiencies. Number seven is from January. It's about irrigation. It has a title, I have always heard deep and infrequent was the way to go. And that is something that I thought at one time also, and that's what I thought was the absolute best way, really the only way that you should try to irrigate, and I don't think that anymore. So I, I thought that was an important post to write because I was wrong about that, I think, and, and I want other people to realize that maybe there's other ways that could be better than deep and infrequent. The post number eight with the the eighth most views is also from April, and it, we're back on the organic matter content. Organic material accumulates more rapidly in putting green soils under these two conditions. These two conditions under which organic material accumulates most rapidly or more rapidly are number one, when the soil organic material is low. Number two, when the putting greens are young. So uh, by doing all of the aerification and sand top dressing that is so common in the turf grass industry, it is keeping greens artificially young and it is keeping greens lower in organic matter, which those two things in themselves 
cause the organic material to accumulate more rapidly. So that's something that uh, is uh, not surprising to me that it makes the top 10 because I think that's a, a very important thing to understand. Number nine, the post with the ninth most views is from July. It's about a fertilizer thing. It's a uh, it's called the least enjoyable experiment ever, and that involved a lot of product mixing. That was a project that Frank Rossi did at Cornell University, and when I was a graduate student there, about 22, 20, 20 to twenty two years ago, I got to help him mix some of those products. And I got to see those plots and I, I found it not so enjoyable for me uh, because it was so much work to mix all those products. And it turned out that the more products you mix together did not really have anything to do with uh, what the turf grass results were. The post number 10, the, the, the one that rounds out the top 10 is from December. I mentioned this earlier. This is the one about uh, Chris Tritabal's blog post, some surprising results about playability and the ability to top dress less frequently and in lower quantities than I once thought possible. Lower, I think, than what Chris thought possible. And that is one that I'm glad made the top 10 this year um, because I, I think that is really interesting. And, and he had an excellent series of four, five, or six blog posts on this topic where he started out looking at what golfers might consider disruption of a putting surface versus what greenkeepers might consider disruption of a putting surface. So I think that that brings us to the end of all of the posts that I wanted to talk about. That is definitely a year-end miscellany that is quite a miscellany of blog posts that I've talked about and these are um, these are ones that some of them I think the first one that I talked about about planning forward but measuring backwards and making adjustments to the plan based on what's actually happening that's one that uh, I think is really important and it's kind of it's kind of interesting every year to look through at the top 10 blog posts and see which posts people are reading the most and what they find the most interesting. Although I try to write about what I find interesting, I try to talk about what I find interesting and you'll see <laughs> in January next month when I do the the uh, bottom 10 blog posts, you'll see that some of those are interesting to me. And I'm still glad that I wrote them, but I, I can almost predict now which ones are going to be interesting to me, but less interesting to a broad audience of people. So anyway, that's where we're at. I have got another plane to catch tomorrow. And um, maybe after that, I'm going to try to do another blog post about uh, flights and my favorite turf grass photos. I know in... Um, in past years prior to the pandemic when i was traveling a lot i used to put together a, uh, a bunch of photos that i would share at the end of the year and say these are some of my favorite turf photos from around the world and i because this year i had a chance to travel quite a bit i am intending to do that one again but because the year is not quite over 
and I haven't flown uh, my last flight of the year yet. I uh, haven't been able to do that post yet. So that one may be coming later when I get to my next destination. I hope that everyone has had a excellent holiday season and that you all have a great new year and enjoy the upcoming holiday weekend or that you have enjoyed the holidays if you're watching or listening to this a bit after the holidays. And I certainly appreciate everybody who has listened to this show, who watches this show. If you are uh, so inclined, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it, uh, leave a rating, click for five stars or three stars or one star. Uh, if I know if you're listening all the way to the end, you probably uh, wouldn't waste your time if you thought it was only a one star. So maybe I'll get some good ratings and maybe uh, that can help some other people to discover this type of show. And maybe they can get some information that can help them with turf grass management in 2023. So I have plenty more to share, but I don't have so much time. So it will be coming next time on the ATC Double Cut. I will sign off now and say thanks everyone all around the world for listening. For ATC from McHenry, Maryland, I am Micah Woods.